everyone. Thanks for tuning in. We want to invite you to learn more about the heart and vision of City of Lights. So check out our website at cityoflights.church and find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at City Lights Indie. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy today's message. So last week was amazing. Uh, I just want, can we just give a hand to all those that help make our anniversary amazing? Can we, there were so many contributors. I loved our balloon arch. And then we had the balloons around our welcome home sign. And uh, I'm just really, I just want to give an extra special thank you to Indie Coffee Roasters who turned it up with their incredible setup. Um, we also had, anybody like those cookies, those City of Lights cookies that we had? Um, thank you, the two people. There's two people that enjoy those. Uh, I know my kids enjoyed them. They tried to enjoy more, more than one of them. Um, but we love those, love the cookies. Um, just love the spirit, the T-shirts. It was so fun just to see everybody rocking their We Shine as One T-shirts. And there was an overwhelming response, particularly of our Every Nation family and spiritual family all over the city and around the globe, excited about what God has done in the first year of City of Lights. It's been, honestly, it's, it's amazing. And, I, and even as you guys heard me, we've got events planned. We want to celebrate the wins. We want to celebrate the great milestones and the things that God is doing here at City of Lights. And I think that many times we can, get, we can grow weary, we can grow dry, we can get a little crotchety and cranky when we don't recognize and we don't celebrate and we don't rejoice and take a moment to be thankful for what God has done. It's amazing to me how so much of the Old Testament, particularly when the Israelites were coming out of captivity, coming out of slavery, coming out of hard labor into the promised land and on the road to the promised land, so much of what was exhorted to them is do not forget. Do not forget. Remember, remember, remember. Why? Because it's amazing how quickly we forget the great blessings and the great things that God has done and how easy it is to remember our complaints. We out there today? Come on, y'all. We can talk today. We can talk today. It's amazing. It's amazing with my kids. You know, a lot of times, like, they may have just, like, especially when it comes to sugar, they may have just had Isaiah's birthday was this week, and so we had ice cream sundaes. And then they'll see a donut. Oh, can I have a donut? And then they had came to the Easter egg hunt here at the extravaganza on Saturday. And you'd have thought they had never had sugar in their lives the way they were going after these eggs. And begging, oh, Dad, please, I've never had this candy before. This candy. This one. And forgetting all the other things that have happened. And so... As, as we walk in this life, we want to remember, we want to celebrate, we want to recognize what God has done, and it's very important. We want to be a celebrating people. However, we don't want to be a people that are so focused on celebration that we settle. I'll say that again. We don't want to be a people who are so focused on celebration that we settle for where we've been. You know, when I think about Palm Sunday, 
I, I think about this incredible moment, and Palm Sunday is, is the day we see this in Matthew 21, and we also see it in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 19, where Jesus is coming on what is known historically as the triumphant, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. He's coming, riding on a donkey. He's coming and fulfilling a prophecy that was given years ago by Zechariah and coming in and announcing his kingdom and proclaiming and being exalted and praised. And there's great celebration, as we'll read here in a moment. And that was this, it was an incredible time of celebration. And yet, I'm so thankful that in this moment, Jesus didn't settle. The goal wasn't Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday was a milestone, but it wasn't the mountaintop. And so this morning, I want to remind us that God has done great things and we want to celebrate it, but we have not arrived. We haven't arrived. We don't want to settle. If you would turn with me to the book of Matthew, we're going to look at Matthew 21. Beginning in verse 1. And it says, Now now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, a foal of a beast of burden. This is fulfilling the prophecy that came. When you look in the Old Testament, the second to last book is the book from the minor prophet Zechariah. In chapter 9, verse 9, that's what Jesus is quoting here. And it says, the disciples went and did as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and the colt, and they put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. Now, if you could picture this, this was really one of the greatest and royal, it was an amazing processional. What they were doing is what we often see flower girls attempting to do at a wedding. Usually the goal for a flower girl is just to like walk from point A to point B with minimal loss of petals and tears. But here what they were doing is they were literally taking off their garments and cutting palm branches and laying them on the ground so that this royal king would not be stepping just on the ground, but it was a recognition and an honoring of him as king. And it says, And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, Who is this? And the crowd said, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. Let's pray. King Jesus, we recognize you this morning. And Lord, even as the crowds gathered 
and they honored you. And they took off their garments and they placed them down on the ground and they cut palm branches and they waved them and laid them on the ground as an act of worship and an act of surrender. God, I'm asking that you would help us this morning to lay down our fleshly garments, that you would help us this morning to lay down our pride, to lay down our preconceived notions of you. Lord, that you would help us to lay down any caricature that we've created of you and that we would see you, not only you for who you truly are, but that we would see your call and your purposes in us appropriately. Lord, help us to recognize you and to recognize your purpose. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kayla. So a couple years ago, uh, before I had taken this massive leap and decision to plant a church. Um, I primarily function as a worship arts pastor, and I was a worship leader. And one of the great things that I love doing is leading worship at various conferences, and particularly our Every Nation Campus Conference. How many of you, we had a couple people in here that went to Nashville for the conference, amen? The last conference that we had, and we appreciate those that maybe didn't go, but sowed a seed to help sponsor someone to go. Um, and so these campus conferences, they're incredible. Uh, it's an incredible time where we have students uh, gather from all over the different regions uh, of North America. And actually, it's, it's abroad internationally to come together for an incredible time of encountering the Lord, for being awakened, inspired into their destiny and their calling, coming connected with Jesus. And, and I was the worship director, the music director for many of our regional conferences here in North America. And one of the conferences that quickly became my favorite was our West Coast Regional Conference. For a few first three years, it was in Los Angeles, so it was always fun to go visit L.A. It wasn't fun to be in traffic forever, but it was fun to go to In-N-Out and, and to go to Roscoe's Chicken and Waffles. You know, food is my love language. God bless it. Um, you know, and so I didn't care about the celebrities. I was like, but let me get some of them chickens and waffles. God bless it. Uh, but anyway... Uh, but then it moved to Corvallis, Oregon, and Oregon is a beautiful place. Uh, if you've never been to the great Northwest, I'd encourage you. It is gorgeous. It is very green. It is very lush. Um, it, it, it is not the city. I mean, you, you can't go directly to Corvallis. You have to go to Eugene or you have to go to Portland and then journey and hike and do whatever to get there. Um, but... One of the most amazing sights and one of the cool things about being in Corvallis, Oregon, is that you can see this beautiful landscape. And one of the beautiful parts of the landscape is a mountain called Mary's Peak. And uh, we were having dinner one night. It was on a Thursday night. And typically our schedule is that Fridays, uh, after we'd have a long day of rehearsal on Thursday. And then Friday was a day to kind of rest and recruit before the conference started in the evening. And so we had a brunch together. And on, well, on Friday night, I, or Thursday night, I looked out and seen Mary's Peak. And I thought, man, that's amazing. And then one of the campus ministers from Corvallis said, hey, we can go up there. We can hike. It's not, it's not that far of a drive. And it's actually a pretty nice hike. Now, I know that by looking at me, you would probably guess that I am quite a buff when it comes to mountain climbing. Um, no, I am not. That is sarcasm. Um, but I thought, hey, you know what? I don't really have this opportunity very often. I'm going to take advantage of this. Let's go. So Friday, we had brunch. A bunch of us got in a car, and we were like, we're going to Mary's Peak. 
So we begin this journey. We drive, and it was one of those mountains that you can actually drive pretty high up in this mountain. It was gorgeous. We paused. They had different views where you could see a waterfall cascading off the mountain, and you're just, I mean, it's just gorgeous. Now, mind you, I'm not really familiar with this mountain climbing situation. I know we have some people in here who may be avid mountain climbers, and you would look at many of the things that I did that day and thought, <laughs> rookie, you know what? Forgive your haughtiness. We're working on that. But anyway... We were going up, and we had gotten quite a ways up, and as far as you could drive, there was a part, little parking area for you to park your car, and we got out, and th- we began our little hike. Now, a few things that I did not plan for. One, it was quite windy on a mountain, and it was colder at the higher altitude than it was below, and so my shorts, my cargo shorts, forgive me, that I was wearing at the time, uh, we're not doing much for my shins. I also did not have appropriate footwear because I was wearing shoes that would be appropriate to look good in a conference setting, not climb a mountain. So I'm rocking these shoes. I'm in these shorts. We're going up, walking slash climbing up this steep mountain. And like the first, like, 30 feet, I was just feeling great about the situation. Like, oh, man, this is cool. Mountain climbing is easy. And then I started to, like, my my legs started shaking a little bit, um, and it took a little bit more effort than I thought it would. And you get up, and there's this plateau where you can see an incredible view. Now, at this time, I'm, like, trying to play it off because I'm with, you know, some of the band people, and I can't look like a punk with the band people um, that I'm about to lead that night. And so I'm like, oh, yeah, that was easy. Um, And I'm sucking air a little bit, but I am blown away by this absolutely gorgeous view. I mean, you could just seem to, seemingly you could see forever. It was one of the most beautiful sights, probably third uh, to uh, seeing the Grand Canyon. uh, And and, and it was unbelievable. But then as I'm taking it in and Looking, I mean, I looked down to where our car was. I'm like, man, that was really steep. Look how far we came. And I'm looking out of this view. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is gorgeous. The uh, Every Nation Campus minister goes, all right, guys, let's keep going. We're about a half mile from the top. And I was like, uh, man, this is really beautiful right here. I mean, this is quite a view. This is, I mean, this is amazing. And, man, that wind is picking up. The wind is picking up. I wasn't really prepared for, what, for what's going down. And so in a moment, as I looked at the great view, and I looked at how far we'd come, and I contemplated how much it was going to take out of me to keep going, I thought, you know what? I'm just going to settle for right here. I'm good. This was honestly more amazing than most, most of anything I've seen at this point. And so we were getting ready to head back down, and I'll never forget the look in this campus minister's eyes when he looked at me and he goes, you came this far? Are you really not going to go to the top? It's just a half a mile up. And I thought, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I got to conserve energy. I got to be ready for tonight. You know, I just, you know, this was, is this was amazing. And the whole car ride coming down that mountain, I could not help but think about how I had settled for a milestone instead of the mountaintop. I had made a milestone, the mountaintop. 
it's amazing how we can allow a little bit of success or a little bit of praise prevent us from the full promise that God has for us. It's amazing how drunk we can get by even the illusion of accomplishment at times and how it will hinder us from actually fulfilling the full mission that God has us set for. We, as I said before, we want to celebrate. We want to rejoice. We want to to, uh, give honor and recognize and remember the great things that God has done. But we don't want to fall for the pitfalls of praise that prevent us from his promise. What am I talking about? Well, think about this. When Jesus came in on this triumphant entry, I'm so thankful that he was not distracted. Now, there were many people shouting, Hosanna. There were many people shouting, save us, save us. They had seen miracles. They had heard him speak with eloquence. They had seen this guy, this guy from Nazareth, from a small town that nobody expected much from, show up and do incredible things. It's kind of like looking at some of the teams that show up to March Madness where you're not quite sure, you know, you're not quite sure what even Loyola is. You think it's like Gryffindor because of the color of their scarves. I was like, man, Harry Potter's playing for Loyola. But you see this Cinderella team that nobody really know about come out and shock the world. Beat a team that nobody expected them to beat. And so they come in and everybody's talking, everybody's getting a scarf and celebrating and getting behind, getting on the bandwagon, trying to figure out, you know, who's the, who's the old nun who's praying for the team. Everybody wants to get, but, but there is this thing, many, many of the people that are shouting and were shouting at that time for Jesus They were recognizing him as they should, but they were praising him not for who he was, but for who they wanted him to be. All of them, just like us, had needs. Many of them, a large group of them actually had, you know, good intentions, but they had an expectation that Jesus was going to come and he was going to be a military leader and he's going to come and overthrow this unjust king and he's going to be the true king that comes into Jerusalem and he's going to witness our victory. That he's going to be our political, uh, our, our, our political champion, our hero that's going to come and make change for everything. That's why they were cheering them on. There were some who were broken and, and, and sick and, and covered in disease and had been exiled because of leprosy and various things that they were cheering them on because they wanted to be healed and they heard that he's healed people. And in fact, right before he came in here, he just healed a couple blind guys. So if he could do that for them, Lord, save me. There were some who were in poverty and had heard how he, his heart was broken for those who, who were with lack. And he was going to restore and make whole and give honor and, and recognize and bring dignity to the downtrodden. And they said, save me, save me. And so there were so many people throwing down palm branches. And, and, and you could honestly say, figuratively and positionally, he had arrived. I mean, if that were me, I mean, that would feel pretty amazing. Not only did you show up, not only did people wave the palm branches, but you're actually, he's reminding them this is the fulfillment of the prophecy. It was a bold moment. It was a milestone moment. 
but it was not the mountaintop. Jesus, in that moment, we, we always think about the time in the desert when Jesus, before his ministry began, he went away to the wilderness and he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights and he was tempted by the enemy. And when you look back at that scripture, you see that the temptation that kept coming was the enemy kept telling him, I want you to bow to me. And what he was offering was praise. All these people, you can have all the riches, you can have all this, just bow your knee. And I look at this, and typically when you would read this passage in Matthew, you wouldn't think of this as a temptation. And yet how often are we tempted by praise, by adulation? By attaboys. C.S. Lewis says that praise is food for God and poison for man. How many of us would be distracted, would fall for some of these pitfalls? And so this morning I want to talk about the pitfalls of praise. I want to talk about three pitfalls that you and I can often fall for if we're not keeping our eye on the true goal and purpose. The first pitfall is pride. Pride. It's amazing how quickly we fall for this one. Down in the deep depths of our core is this constant tug of war with this spirit of pride. And, and many of us we can wrestle with it on two different fronts. Immediately, some of you, when you think of pride, you think, I don't have an issue with pride. Well, that's prideful in itself, but whatever. Um, but pride is not always you thinking that you're better than other people. Pride, really the heart of pride, is you not having appropriate view of yourself, period. You, as an individual human, thinking that you have more authority to define yourself than the God that created you. Pride is not just, I think I'm better than anyone. You can also be prideful in your view if you think that you're less than what God has called you to be. And so when the praise came, I, I can't tell you how many times as a worship leader, it's one of the scariest things. And I always challenge worship leaders. You know, we have a responsibility as worshipers to help draw people to connect and present their offerings to the Lord. You know, when I, when I think of a worship leader, a great worship leader, it's like a, they meet you where you're at. With your offering. And they help you like an usher to come and lead you from where you are to the feet of Jesus so that you can present your offering. But how tempting is it when you get in the lights and you get in the moment to skim a little bit off the top. Oh, he's right over here. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you. And then what we begin to do is we begin to take the praise that is due the Lord and we receive it into ourselves, and we begin to think people are worshiping us instead of Jesus. That's what the enemy did. As Lucifer was in heaven and, and was a part of the mighty host of angels, and he began to be deceived that he was worthy of worship. When we think of the fall in Genesis, where man rebelled against God, the temptation was that temptation to see themselves and see God inappropriately and to grasp, to grasp for honor and worship and a, and a role that was only due the Lord. Pride. When, we, when we, we could so easily, you know, we come up to this first year of our church. 
I've seen this happen time and time again where we get into this us versus them mentality. Where we start comparing, and particularly if you have come within the last year, a lot of times, you know, especially if you came from a bad church situation or, or in, a, in a rough church situation, you begin to start pitting the kingdom of God against itself. We really get worship. They don't. We really get this. We really get community. They don't. You need to come over here. And we start getting prideful. And we start looking down on the very people that God's called us to build with. It's so quiet in here. We good this morning. Come on now. I want to know that you're getting this. We don't want to fall for the pitfall. That pride, it's a pitfall. The second one is pandering. The second pitfall of praise is pandering. What happens is when people begin to praise you and people begin to celebrate you and people begin to talk about you're this and you're that and you like that and that makes you feel good, all of a sudden what you begin to do is you actually can compromise the mission because you just kind of like what's going on here. And so we start to pander to different people. We start to do things not because they're right but because this person likes it and it's a fear of man that motivates us. You know, that's why one of the things that gets so messy in politics is, is, is all of the lobbyists and all of the money and all of the compromising and, and all of the things that take place just to get a bill passed through because, you know, if I do this, i got to do this for this people. I mean, it, what really drives me crazy is when you're, like, trying to figure out who to invite to a wedding, right? And if you've ever gotten married and you've ever had to, like, send out invitations or if you ever had to, like, count the cost for how many people were going to eat at the reception, and you're like, oh, my gosh, if I invite them, then I've got to invite them. And then I, where do I put this person? And you begin to go crazy trying to f- figure out how are you going to get to your goal but also please everybody. Especially as a, as a ministry leader, you know right out the gate, as I've said this to many of you, building multi-ethnic, multi-generationally, it's a contact sport. You will literally not please everybody. You do one song that's like, kind of gospel got a little soul on it, you're going to have some people like, oh, my gosh, thank you. You finally did something that wasn't Bethel Hill song. God bless you. But then you're going to have other people like, I don't know where to clap. Ah! You're like, ha, 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 that's not me. You, you know, you, you wear a suit and people think, oh, man, we're just, we're just putting on airs. We're just, we're, that's just not, that's not real. That's not authentic. Then you put on like a pair of Jordans, it's like, that is so irreverent. You're not going to please everybody. You can't pander, and yet it's such a temptation. It's such a pitfall. It's amazing how, especially when you begin to walk in the new life that Jesus brings, and you start to walk in victory, how many people will begin to push against the life that God's called you to live. And get you to compromise so that you can keep them on the boat. Keep them in as friends on Facebook or Instagram. The temptation, the pitfall of praise is pandering. The last one that I want to talk about is paranoia. Paranoia. Paranoia is this fear that others might respond negatively. Or a fear of a looming evil or a looming bad situation that's going to come. And what begins to happen is when we start getting addicted to the praise and the adulation of other people, 
there's this thought in the back of our minds that remembers what it felt like when we didn't have that. That remembers what it felt like when we didn't have the attaboys. That remembers what it felt like when people didn't think we had it all put together. And so we get afraid. And what happens is the enemy sneaks in with pride, gets us to think higher than we ought. He comes further in pandering and begins to get us to compromise, fall into exceptional sins. And then that paranoia continues the cycle because now we've told ourselves we cannot be honest. We cannot be authentic. I cannot humble myself because if I do, people will find out who I really am. People will recognize what's really going on, and then I won't have the praise. I'm so thankful that Jesus was all God and all man, that he wasn't just a man. I'm so thankful because I think of a lesser man would have received all this praise and begin to think, okay, if I'm going to keep this lobby with me, I need to make sure that I exert enough brute political and military force and keep them pacified. But then at the same time, this crew over here that just loves to intercede and loves to praise, I can't be too harsh over here, and i got to be really nice to them so that they keep coming because they create a great atmosphere for me. What if God, what if this Jesus was paranoid and, and was afraid of, you know, what would happen? What's the worst that could happen? They'd kill him. And yet he knew this is just a milestone. I love the fact that the worst that man could do to Jesus actually served his purpose. The worst, the worst the enemy could come up with actually helped accomplish the purposes of God. And so it's important for us to know not just the pitfalls, but how do we avoid these pitfalls? Because the enemy is going to come at you. He's going to discourage you. He's going to press upon you. He's going to want you to give up. He's going to want you to quit. He wants us to be satisfied. As DJ Khaled would say, they don't want us to win, so we're going to win. They don't want us to keep going, so we're going to keep going. So how do we avoid these pitfalls? Number one, we want to have a posture of humility. You see, we want to make sure it's so important that we never lose sight of who we are and who God is. And it's amazing how when we maintain, that's what I love about the example of Jesus. Jesus would always constantly point to the Father. He knew that his, his responsibility, his role here on the earth, part of that was to demonstrate what it looked like to be in full submission of the Father. He walked humbly. He walked in meekness. Meekness can often be described as a powerful humility. It's not insecurity. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's not thinking too, uh, too little of yourself, but actually recognizing not only appropriately who you are, but who God is. He is God, not we ourselves. He is the one do all the honor and all the praise and all the glory, not us. And so when I look at what God has done in my life, or even when I look at what God has done in the life of our church, I'm not walking around thinking, I am awesome. Now, I am fearfully and wonderfully made because that's what he says about me. 
But I know that any life transformation that has taken place is not because of the power of John. It's the power of Jesus. I recognize that the lives that have been transformed and those that were baptized and were dead to sin and made alive in life, they did not rise in the resurrection of John Owens, but they rose in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. I have to walk. We have to posture ourselves in humility. I recognize that even as I look around and I just celebrate what God has given us in the provision of even just being able to have the equipment that we have, the chairs that we have, the facility that we have, the resources that we have, it's not because I'm just a great business guy and I'm all of them, I'm super savvy and, and I'm great. No, no, no. It's because of the provision of Jesus because he's moved upon the hearts of other people who have never even been to Indianapolis to sow into the work of the gospel so that people would come to know Jesus. It's it's not me, it's him that is worthy of the praise. We have to maintain a posture of humility. The second thing is we want to stay in pursuit of God's purpose. You see, Jesus heard the praise. Jesus saw the palms being laid down and the garments being laid down. And when I say garments being laid down, it wasn't like somebody said, oh, I think I got an old dirty shirt that I used to paint things with. Yes, yeah, my old City of Light shirt. Let me go put this down. No, no, no. They were taking off their garments. Some of them, the, maybe the only garment that they had, and laying it down, recognizing him. And in all of this display, Jesus was not distracted once. He knew, you know what? It's okay for them to praise me. In fact, it was amazing. Some of the religious priests got all up in arms, and they're yelling at Jesus, and they're saying, hey, do you hear them yelling this to you? You should tell them to stop. And Jesus was like, you know what, this is futile. If they stop, even the rocks are going to cry out. Because it wasn't the praise that was the problem, but it was in the way that he allowed it to affect him that created a problem or that could create a problem. You know, I just want to just to help you all out because some of you are thinking, I don't know if I should ever receive a congratulation. Like, is it okay? Should we encourage each other? Yes, we encourage each other as long as today is called today. But we have to remember that even as we encourage and we ought to, I want to tell you, if, if you come here, I want you to feel like a million bucks when you leave. I want you to know we love you. You're amazing. I remember one of the things that Mabel would say when she was first coming around is like, why is everybody telling me that I'm amazing all the time? I'm like, because you are amazing, Mabel. Because we believe. I get so tired of people. I mean, you get torn down by the enemy and people all the time. Forget cyberbullying. I mean, there's cyberbullying. There's just people, just, just the enemy in airwaves in every way wants you to be defeated. So I want you to be celebrated. I believe we need to encourage each other. The scripture says as long as today is still today. So tomorrow will be today, and it's another day to get encouraged somebody. But... In the encouragement, we also have to understand that my security, my identity is not based on how many people say I was awesome when I did that thing or didn't do that thing, but it's rooted and grounded in Christ. And so in that, even as we celebrate, we never lose sight of the goal. See, Jesus knew Many of you here, you're praising me because you think I'm going to meet some need immediately or some short-term thing. And I'm going to meet those needs, but I've got a, an eye for the long game. And you won't get this right now, but actually for me to bring the true victory that I'm going for, it's going to look like a loss. It's going to look like I don't know what I'm doing because i got to follow this thing out to death. His mission was not just 
to bring hope and to bring excitement in a moment, but to bring eternal life. And in order for him to bring eternal life, he had to fulfill and pursue the purpose, which was to be hung on a cross, to take upon the full weight of our sin so that he could rise again three days later, victorious over sin in the grave. As we celebrate, we can't be distracted by the praise. We can't be distracted by the number of people that we have on a big Sunday that we promote. We have to keep our eyes on the goal. God has called us, I believe, to reach thousands and thousands and thousands of people in the world and locally in the metro Indy area. We can't get drunk off 120. We can't get satisfied because it feels kind of full in here. And it's honestly, I'm a, I'm a little bit disappointed in, in one way because I told our team, I want to put as many chairs, I want to put more chairs than we normally put out so it feels empty. And there's a lot of y'all that showed up that don't normally show up. So I'm glad you're here. But honestly, the reason I say that is it ought to bother us to see empty chairs. Not because it makes me feel better about myself. It doesn't, but because an empty chair represents a life that God wants to reach. We didn't show up just to feel good about ourselves. That's not the end game for us. There's a people that God sent us here to love on. There's people here that God wants us to pursue. There's a single mother who's trying to figure out how to make ends meet because she has more bills coming in than checks. There's a young man who's been contemplating suicide for several years and has maybe even said a prayer under his breath to a God he's not quite sure he believes in that has said, God, just show me a sign. There's a people who are not here yet because we have yet to reach them. We cannot lose sight of the purpose. We have to continue in the pursuit. Now, just like I felt when I was climbing up Mary's Peak, to do so requires more. I, my, my knees had already grown tired and shaky. I was out of breath, out of shape, trying to figure out, like, even just the thought of there being any more to travel I just kind of psyched myself out, and it was when I started thinking about my limitations and my fatigue that I started negotiating. Like, you know what? This is really a great view. I mean, can we just Instagram this view? Because this is awesome. Do we really need that? And we can do the same thing because it sounds great. We can say amen when we say, yeah, I want to reach people. I want to reach that mom. I want to reach that young man. I want to reach that couple. But then when we realize and we start taking an inventory of what it will cost us, we start going, you know what, I mean, I just kind of like a more intimate setting. You know, I mean, do we really, I mean, we don't want to be a mega church. I mean, those mega churches are not really discipling anybody. We've got a real great authentic thing happening here, right? I love that word authentic. We love to use that. It's like artisan, you know. Enjoy our artisan worship. But we start negotiating. And we have to learn. The third thing, the third way to avoid the pitfall. First one was posture of humility. Second one is we want to continue to pursue God's purpose. The third is we got to press on in faith. 
We've got to press on in faith. Because we didn't get where we are based upon our own strength and energy and and our, our own human capacity. It is but by the grace of God that we have gotten where we are. And it is going to be even more so the grace of God to continue to take us to the mountaintop. And so as we evaluate and we think about the scenario, some of them are not real. Some of it is the paranoia, the fear of what could be or could not be. We psych ourselves out. What if I invite somebody? What if I speak to my friend who I know does not, has had issues and has been offended by the church? What if I reach out to them and they say no? We forget that Jesus came not for the healthy but for the sick. He came for the people that have been saying no. He came for the people who were desperate and broken. And because of the possibility of failure, we shrink back. Because somebody might reject us, even though they rejected Jesus, we shrink back. You know, so I think oftentimes when it comes to sharing our faith, we shrink back because of this. We're like, man, uh, what, what, if, what, if, what if they don't say yes? What if, what if they don't just like all of a sudden their hearts are cut and they're like, oh, what else do I do to be saved? And they just fall on their faces and they cry. And they're like, oh, we can baptize you in my tub. Like what if they're like, you know what, F you. I don't want to talk to you anymore. And so we just assume everybody is going to be that F you person. And the reality is that F you person, they need love. Right? They need Jesus. But we allow the possibility of rejection to deter us. I was thinking about baseball. When you think about baseball, if you were only going up to plate because you were convinced that you would definitely hit the ball, you would just quit baseball. The greatest hitting percentage in the history of Major League Baseball was 37%. It's Ty Cobb. He accomplished this in 1927, I believe. 37%. That's not even an F, y'all. For like grading papers, you're not happy about that. And yet that is the best batting percentage. He led the major, major League Baseball in batting and hits. Why? Because he stepped up to the plate and he overcame his fear of missing and kept swinging. Thank you, Dad. I hope right now, I know right now in many of your minds, there's a part of you that is writhing and wishing that I would stop talking about this. Because you like, you, you, and sometimes we talk about, maybe you're here and you're like, man, I haven't had a lot of wins in that way. But what happens is the enemy, he just praises you enough to keep you silent. I don't want to feel rejection. When you understand who you are in Jesus, that it's not based upon somebody else's rejection. There is a reservoir of grace and power that you tap into because you've pressed beyond your own physical limitations and capacity and you've stepped into the provision of Jesus. We've got to press on in faith. We've got to press on beyond the fear of rejection. We've got to press on beyond the fear of fatigue or what is it going to cost me? 
I love that Jesus said on the cross, before the resurrection, it is finished. Think about that for a second. He didn't say it when he got up. He said it when he was dying. Why do you think that was? Because the hardest part of this battle is the dying. It's the dying to self that's the hardest thing for us. When we die to self, the living is easy because it's his power that comes alive in us. It's not based on us. He calls us to die so that we would become alive in him. And so if we could just push beyond the fatigue, if we could push forward in faith and trusting that he is who he says he is, his grace is sufficient for us, that he is not only the one that calls us into the promised land, but gives the provision to get us there, if we could just press on in faith, we would see his resurrection power move in amazing ways. I need to wrap this up. I am so, so grateful for what God has done. I'm so grateful, even before any of you showed up, the fact, just seeing what God has done in my life and how he's restored broken things and he's taken things that I didn't, I, he had promised and he put it out there and I just couldn't believe him and yet he's met me in my place of unbelief, he's met me in my place of cynicism and allowed me to not only behold as he has provided not watch from afar, but actually be on the playing field. It amazes me. And yet, as we celebrate and we take photos and we eat the cookies and we wear the T-shirts, I do not want us to miss the mountain for a milestone. It's actually a pretty amazing thing that God has allowed us to grow and break through the 100 barrier in the first year. For those of you who don't know, statistically, the 100 barrier is one of the most difficult numbers barriers to break through as a church. The average church in America, many times we, we just see like the mega churches and we think that's what everybody is. The average church in America is actually around 85 people. It's a hard barrier to break through 100. And after four years, most, uh, the average size uh, after four years is around 85. Many don't even make it four years. In the short time that we've been in Indianapolis, I've already seen several churches get launched and then fizzle out. So it is no small thing for us to celebrate what God has done in growing this family in a very short time. And so if we're not careful, we can get satisfied. But as I said before, this was not the goal. God has a greater move that he wants to do in us. When we started counting the costs and paying for everything, we bought 200 chairs, and we were believing God. You know what? I'm believing God that we're going to hit 200. And as I was thinking about our goals for this next year, we said, you know, we want to believe God that, he will, that we will double, that we will see a multiplication take place in this next year. We don't want to be satisfied for where we're at. We want to bust through 200. And one of my pastors, much like one of my rugby coaches from high school, he told me, if you want to be a great tackler, you don't just want to go to your opponent. You want to go through your opponent. So we're not shooting for 200. We're shooting for 250. So we got to get some more chairs, and it's going to cost us. 
and it's going to require more work, and it's going to require more effort. But I know that as we step out and we push into faith and we push beyond our own strength and we push beyond our own ability, we're going to see the reservoir, a reservoir of grace. Why? Because Jesus loves the lost. And the people that ought to be in those seats before we ever thought about them, they were in God's heart. Before we ever thought about them. So I want to ask us to do something. I want to challenge you, and this is not just for the evangelist. You have these invite cards, these Easter invite cards in your seat. As a practical act of faith this week, this is what I want to ask you. I want to ask you to make a list of three people. Three people, preferably, who, do not, who are not in church, who are not connected to a spiritual family. It could be your barista. It could be your cousin. It might be your spouse. But three people this week that you can pray for and that you can personally invite to come with you on Easter Sunday. It is a statistic that blows my mind that they say there is absolutely nothing as powerful as a personal invite. They say generally those who do not go to church, 47% of unchurched say that they would accept an invitation from someone to come and visit their church. That's a better batting percentage than the greatest hitter in all of MLB. 47%. That's compared to around 14 to 16% of people who respond to any ad, any billboard, or any advertisement. And so this week, I believe that if you would make a list of three people, three people who God has already been thinking about, Three people that there is a reservoir of grace and power and provision to meet you if you could just press beyond paranoia and into faith to invite. And I'm telling you, when I look around this room, and I imagine if only, if less than 50% of the people that you dare step out in faith to invite show up, we won't have enough chairs. We'll need more chairs. That's the kind of problem I would love. I would love for us to be so full of people who are hungry and desperate and needing the grace and the power and the love of Jesus that we got to make more room. We want to celebrate and not be satisfied. We want to enjoy the, mount, the milestone but not give up on the mountaintop. And as God is looking for a people who will not be content, my prayer is that that would be us, that we would be that people. Kayla, if you could come on back up with the keys. Again, I want to challenge you this week. Please hear me, people. Please hear me, family. This is not just for the people. There is nobody currently that is paid full time to evangelize for our church. Y'all hear me this morning. Do you hear me this morning? You have been given the ministry of reconciliation. You. The five-fold ministry gifts are given to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. This mission is not just for me. It's not just for my wife. It's not just for a handful of people that were a part of the launch team. God has called you to be a part of his amazing purposes. He wants you to experience not only 
the joy of being saved, but the joy of being a part of his mission of redemption in the earth. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you. I thank you that the reason that we can have any hope, I thank you that the reason we can even celebrate and take communion today is that you did not fall into the pitfall of praise. Lord, you were not sustained and your identity was not solidified based upon the fickle affections of people. Lord, you were not swayed by the calls and the cries to pander to this sect or that, but that you stayed steady in pursuit of the purposes of the Father, even unto death. Lord, that you pushed beyond fear. In the garden of the Gethsemane with anxiety upon you and blood dripping like sweat, you pressed through and you said, not my will, but yours. And as a result, not only those in this room, but all people in all nations, of every background, of every creed, of every economic situation, can walk in eternal life and victory in you. Lord, I'm asking that you would help us. Lord, that you would shut the mouth of the enemy that would try to discourage us and scare us off. Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us in such a way with faith and with life and with grace that we are not gauging what we can do or where we will go based on our own capacity, but we understand that you are fueling this mission. Lord, I'm asking that there would be a spirit of boldness and courage that would come upon each person in here. Lord, that some in here who the last thing they would ever want to do, in fact, just the charge, the thought of handing one card seems like the most petrifying of things to do, the most terrifying thought, and yet that person, Lord, I pray that those people you would use mightily to draw those that are far from you close to be connected. Lord, we thank you for what you've done. But we don't want to lose sight of what you're going to do. Help us, Jesus. In your precious name, we pray. Amen. God bless you. Thanks again for joining us. Don't forget, you can find us online at cityoflights.church and connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.